This week we finish up our sermon series on the mountains of the Bible as we look at the Mount of Olives. In all the significant events that happen there, there's one specifically, the claim that Jesus is made to be God and how that impacts our life. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, May 22nd, 2016. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, we're finishing up our series as we look at mountains of the Bible, and I'm assuming most of you thought we were going to finish on Mount Calvary. Is that what everyone assumed? I was going to do that, but then that was kind of been the undertone of our whole message is that all good things happen on, on Mount Calvary. So we're going to talk about a different one. I changed my mind, as you see from my graphic, so don't look that closely. Okay, we'll turn the page. Uh, the one we're going to talk about, though, is the Mount of Olives, which is really a fascinating one. The Mount of Olives is like, uh, just imagine, like the, the nation of Israel is like your house. And the Mount of Olives is where a lot of stuff happens. So in your house, I'm guessing that happens like in the kitchen or in the living room. This is a guess. So if someone said to you, hey, remember that thing that happened in the kitchen, you'd need specifics, right? Because you probably cut yourself, you probably burned things, you probably set off the smoke. You know, you've done all these different things. The, most of the mountains we've covered are closer to like your attic, unless it's like a, you're a weirdo and you keep your kids in your attic. If I said to your phrase, remember that thing that happened in the attic, most of you would have a pretty good idea of what we're talking about, right? I hope, right? There's not a lot of things that go down in the attic that are, that are too nuts. Maybe you like went between it and your foot went through the ceiling or something like that, but it's pretty rare. The Mount of Olives, there's so many things that happen on it, I'm probably going to miss some things. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the history, but just to give you an idea, uh, I'm going to just set this up. This is, not a, this is not awesome, but we'll just pretend. Okay, this is the eastern side of Jerusalem, so I should have done it a little bit better, so we'll do it this way, so now it'll feel like it. Okay, you were looking at the, this little hill is Jerusalem. The, Jerusalem itself is built on hills, just like Seattle is or just like uh, Rome is, and there's other places around the world that are built on hills, and they name these hills. Jerusalem has this same instance where it's built on a hill, they have multiple hills over here. In between it, though, is what is called the Kidron Valley or Kidron Valley, if you've heard that phrase before. And then right over here, higher up, is the Mount of Olives. So we are now looking from the Mount of Olives, probably with someone with a drone, that's too high, um, but is looking over to what is the Temple Mount, and it would actually be shifted a little bit. So this is the wall. These are the original walls of the Temple Mount. It runs along here. It is a massive place. It's way over in this corner. I can't quite reach that's why I have a laser pointer there. Um, right over there is where the fortress of Antonio would come in. So Antonio would be there. That's where the Roman garrisons would hang out. So this is a lot of stuff happened. And it's just like when you go to the mall. Have you ever gone to the mall and there's like a police station there? If you go to the Park Meadow Mall, you've seen that? I think that's probably a deal with the county where they say, okay, we'll let you build this quadrillion dollar mall as long as you give us some space. Well, the same thing happened with the Romans. They had this huge platform and this is a massive complex I'll show you what it would be um, at Jesus' day. So Jesus' day would have looked like this, looking over. This is the Kidron Valley, just like this. And you're looking over from the Mount of Olives. This complex itself, which is known as the Temple Mount, was a massive, massive place, like 17 acres, as big as a high school campus. So if you have a high school campus, that's how big that is. It's just huge. Here's where the Holy of Holies and the temple itself is. Multiple gates. And when they'd say Jesus was teaching in the temple, when I was a kid... I thought it went, like, he actually went into my church. Like, it was like that, you know, like this building, that's where Jesus taught, and they had, like, these teachers and corners or something like that. All kinds of people met here. This is a massive, humongous thing. This is the Kidron Valley, and it leads over to uh, the Mount of Olives, and here's a picture of the Mount of Olives from, let me look at that one. 
That's from 1950s. Also, when I was a kid, when you think about the Mount of Olives, and I'll tell you a little bit of the history in a second, um, when you hear about like Gethsemane, I assumed all of this happened at the top. Is that what you assumed? That's not actually probably true. There's four possible locations. We're going to be talking about Gethsemane today. This is the Church of All Nations, the top of the mountains up there. There's actually a hotel on the top if you want to go. The Church of All Nations is down here, and there's olive groves. Oops. I thought I had one more picture. Do I have one more picture? I don't. There's olive groves all around here that they say are ancient trees. We don't know for sure if they're the same ones from Jesus' time. But that's closer to the valley. So you can imagine if you were working, right? Gethsemane means like press. If you were working and you're harvesting all these olives from this, this huge mountain, would you want to go up with your work or down? Down, right? So, down, so you can imagine towards the bottom of the valley is where they would press out this oil. And so if you'd look at this picture, it would be kind of down here. Some things from the... The Mount of Olives, we first run into it with King David. So that's why I had that reading with Absalom. Absalom, his son, he always seems like a, just a greasy guy to me. But he had like this long flowing hair and he steals the hearts of the people. And you can imagine that scenario, right? My son, uh, as we're at church, he sits at the front of my own house. And people would come for counseling or something like that or an office. And then my son's like, hey, what's what's going on? I'd like to listen, you know, oh, that's terrible, you know, like, that's really tough, you know, my dad, too busy, he's always busy, you know, something like this, you know, you can imagine, so people, at some point, probably not as a nine-year-old, could go, you know what, I bet Owen would be a better pastor than Jared, you know, like, this is conceivable, right, you know, at like 12, maybe that's, you know, like, that's a possibility, the same thing happened to David, and it's just a, a sad story, because now this, um, he, David's son steals the heart of the people, and they actually make him king. And so David is distraught. He doesn't fight. And this is the weirdest thing to me. Instead, he leaves. And so the first time we hear about the Mount of Olives is David just found out his son has rebelled against him. And without even shoes on, it says he doesn't have sandals. He goes through the Kidron Valley and goes up to the Mount of Olives and he weeps. He cries, distraught. Not much later, David has a son named Solomon, and Solomon is supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived, but how many wives does he have? Does anyone know this? 300. That does not fit in the good idea category to me at all, but he has 300, he has 300 wives. One is perfect. One is perfect. So he has 300 wives. A lot of these seem to be like political kind of bargaining type deals. So he has all these wives, and not all of them follow the true God. And so here he is in the temple, and here he is worshiping. He got to build that beautiful... This is a model, obviously, because it's been destroyed. Um, He got to build this beautiful temple, but in order to appease his wives, he puts up Asherah poles to the false gods on the Mount of Olives. And so you can imagine, again, weeping is the theme, because God the Father, you can imagine God in heaven going, his heart breaking, that his chosen leader is saying, I'm going to worship and follow other gods. His heart is stolen, at least partway, to these other gods. So we speed way ahead, and I'll answer one question which you might be thinking. Why didn't they build Jerusalem on this mountain if it's 250 feet higher? Did anyone wonder that? There's no real water source. That's the real deal. So there's a spring in Jerusalem, and that's in fact how David stole the city. But there's a spring in Jerusalem, so you want a walled, a fortified place plus a water source, and you don't have that on the Mount of Olives. Years and years later, we get to the ministry of Jesus, and there's a number of things that happen again on this mountain. One time, the disciples look at this temple. This is, a lot of it happens during Holy Week. So uh, his friends, Mary and Martha, would have lived over, oh, this is perfect. 
They would have lived here, and they live in Bethany. Okay, so they live in Bethany, and they, to get to Jerusalem, you have to climb over the Mount of Olives on a road and then go into Jerusalem. And so if you're familiar with the story of Palm Sunday, where Jesus enters triumphantly from his friend's house, he went on this exact road over later that week. His disciples are mesmerized by this temple because it is, it's kind of awesome. It took 40-some years to build. Some of the stones I've shared with you are 100,000 pounds. So these are just massive rocks they used to build this temple. And they said, man, Jesus, that is pretty awesome, right? Awesome. And Jesus goes, well, it's going to be destroyed. Not a single stone is going to be left on another. And this is one of the things that Jesus, it's known as the Olivet Discourse. And I know I'm talking kind of fast because I've only got about 15% of people who really want to hear the history. So we'll get to the other part. So the Olivet Discourse he sits and he talks about the end of the world. So if you're familiar with that section in Matthew, like 24, 25, where he said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, all said on the Mount of Olives, from this vantage point, really, looking down at the temple. Uh, when we read the parable of the um, ten virgins, which I just read to the kids, he says that from this discourse, looking down onto the thing. And he makes a prediction that... There is not going to be a stone left on another, and that totally becomes true. Less than 50 years later, 70 AD, the Romans come and they obliterate it. Like, they're so mad at the rebellion of the Jews that they said, fine, we'll take your temple that took you 40 years to build, we'll take your business. They obliterate it. So the only thing that is really left of this temple is kind of this base part. All the upper part, all the walls, the temple itself completely destroyed. I mean, obliterated. And so if you see Jewish pictures, the Western, the Wailing Wall, that's kind of the only thing left of the original temple, and they take prayers and they roll them up and they put them into the cracks. So now, ah, I'm going to get my, someone's going to be there and they're going to call me on it. It's, it's over there somewhere. There we go. If you're listening online, that's totally accurate. I pointed exactly where the, the Wailing Wall is. I should have looked that up. Sorry about that. So, but the biggest story and maybe the earth, biggest earth-changing story that happens on the Mount of Olives is not just these discourses. It's just a little bit later, on a Thursday night, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And if you read in the book of John, like John 17, the high priestly prayer and things like that, they are making their way down this valley to go to the Mount of Olives. To It's really a park. When they say the Garden of Gethsemane, it's a park. And Jesus went to this park and... Um, and it's there that he prays to his father, if there's any other way for salvation to be completed, if there's any possible way, take this cup, we'll talk about cup in a second, from me. And it's not long after that Judas arrives with 200, roughly, Roman soldiers who would have left from, this is just some history stuff, this is the fortress of Antonio, Antonia, and they would have come down, this garrison, I think they call it, 200, roughly, Roman soldiers to get Jesus. This is the account in John chapter 18. Uh, when he had finished praying, he left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden or a park, and he and his disciples went into it. Now, Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. 
And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. Three things happen here. Jesus states a claim, and he's an unbelievable claim, and it leads to our own unbelievable issue, and I think an unbelievable solution by God. So we're going to look at some of these things. If you look at the original Greek here, Jesus, these men appear to him, 200 men, and he says, I am he. The original says, ego I me. Usually I don't like lay the Greek card on you, but the original is really saying, I, I am. It doesn't say he. And so the emphasis is really, I mean, if you could do it verbally, you'd say, I am. And what's the significance of Jesus saying, I am? In those brief words, it may not seem like it. Jesus is saying, I'm God. And those brief words, just I am, and there's some history to it. So if you go all the way back to Moses, if you remember this, so Moses led the people out of Egypt, and uh, he's on the mount, um, he, he sees the burning bush, and he says, like, what am I going to tell the people? Like, seriously, what am I going to tell the people when I go there? They're all slaves. To lead them out of the, who's gonna, who am I going to say sent me? And he says, I am sent you. This happens again and again in Scripture. But here Jesus is making a claim um, a, a little bit later when he's talking to the people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He says, before Abraham, I am. And they wanted to kill him. Why do they want to kill him? Because he says he's God. Why does this matter to you? A lot of times when you, especially in America, there's an idea that uh, all religions are a, a big deal. You know, they're all basically the same. It's kind of like um, just about anything. There's not many things where you'd say exclusively, this is the only way you can do it. Are there multiple ways that you can raise your kids? Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, the end result is we want good kids that are uh, godly kids that are benefiting members of society. You know, how you get there, you know, some people are a little more strict, some people are not as strict. You know, you're probably okay with that. There's multiple books. You go to like Barnes & Noble, you go to the library, there's probably 50 books on parenting. You just pick one book, you go with it, and we're probably okay with that. Now, you might get a little judgy here or there. Does it matter how you train your dog? No, I'm on book number six now, the video series. They kind of all say roughly the same thing, you know, they, they say similar things. It doesn't matter. What fitness plan, it doesn't really matter what you do. I don't care what you do. So you kind of slide into the same thing, that it doesn't really matter what, you, what religion you have. But here's the difference. Of all major religions, there's only one where the founder says they're God. Christianity. That's it. You can, like, go through the whole gamut of them, and there's no one else who says that. Joseph Smith, who started the Mormon church, does not claim to be God. He just says he's God's mouthpiece. Confucius, Buddha, and you just go down the whole line, no one is claiming that they're actually God, but Jesus did. So why does this matter? There's a famous quote which I've shared with you probably way too many times from C.S. Lewis. Jesus is a liar. He's crazy, a poached egg, C.S. Lewis says, or he's right. And you're like, I don't even know who C.S. Lewis is. But, you know this guy though, right? Okay, I gotta make sure I say it right. One guy died in Aspen, Bono, there we go. So Bono is the lead singer of U2. He's a Christian guy. And he was in an interview in 2013. So if you don't listen to the Bible, at least you can listen to Bono. So this is what Bono says. They asked him this question. There's all these people that saying Jesus is the Messiah. Isn't that kind of hard to stomach? Because the mindset here is right. It's just like a book on dog training. It's just like a book on parenting. You just pull one off the shelf. Anyone is fine. This is what he says. 
and I'll read it exactly. It's an interview, so he didn't write it, so it's going to be a little rough. Uh, the scriptures don't let you off the hook so easily. Jesus doesn't let you off the hook. So Jesus died on a cross with King of the Jews as the Messiah. In fact, if he had just given that bit up, you know, he would not have had the crucifixion. And Pilate saying it's unnecessary. Everyone was like, this is kind of mad. Because when people say, you know, the good teacher, prophet, really nice guy, and this is not how Jesus thought of himself. So you're left with a challenge in that, which is either Jesus was who he said he was, or a complete and utter nutcase. You have to make a choice on that. And I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. You can't just say Jesus is a decent dude. You've you got to say what Jesus said he said, and Jesus says, I am God. So why does this all matter? Why does it all matter? When Jesus comes to the men and he says that I am he, the men fall down. And every time you look in Scripture, when someone is confronted by a holy God, they fall down. Every time. You can see this. This is a vision of Ezekiel. He falls down to his feet. Isaiah, we just talked about Isaiah last week. When he is commissioned and he has this vision of God coming to him with a hot coal, it's kind of an interesting vision. But he comes to him and he falls down to his feet. Whenever anyone is confronted by God, they fall to his feet. Moses, what happens when he's on uh, the mountain and he sees the burning bush? And he says, this is God. He wants to take his shoes off because he's freaking out. He's like, i got to get to the ground. Because that happens when you face God. But let's just talk about normal stuff. If something more powerful than I came in, I would drop down like a car, right? I went, only Edward in, in the movie can fight a car. Most of us can't, right? If a car came, you would drop to the ground. If someone more powerful came to you, you'd fall to the ground. Has anyone gone body surfing? So I have two sovereign, has anyone gone body surfing? This is what you realize when you go body surfing. If you're a good swimmer, you think, okay, I feel good about this. I'm going to swim out in the ocean. We went on a youth rally. I'll tell you the first story and then the second story. Have I ever told you the story? I, I'm sure I have. With my favorite swim trunks? Okay, so I played on the tennis team, and I had these white swim trunks, and they were my favorite one. These Nike ones, they had like velvet in the pockets so the ball wouldn't pop out and things like that. Well, I'm from Wisconsin, and when you go swimming in Wisconsin, it does not matter the situation. You can just put shorts. In fact, most of the time, you probably put jean shorts on if you're in Wisconsin, like the farther north you go. So this is how you can swim, and no one thinks anything of it. So I go body surfing, and um, we're with this youth group, and we're going, and when you body surf, it slams you to the ground if you're off, if it's ever happened to you. And have you ever been flipped over? Right now, I just could feel the salt water go in my nose. Has that happened to you? As you flip over, you're tumbling, and you're like, am I going to die here? And the water's rushing back. Well, at one point, I got flipped over, all the way over, and disoriented, and the undercurrent rips off my favorite shorts. And I'm on a youth rally. So if you want to know, like, the last place you want this to happen, like, I'm still a pastor, so the story ends all right. Um, like, this is the last place you want that. So I stay low, and I go to the deeper water, and I say to the pastor's son, his name's Daniel, just the nicest kid ever. I'm like, Daniel. He's like, what? I'm like, I need a towel. He's like, what do you need a towel? I'm like, so then Daniel runs in. He, I could just still picture it. He, he runs all the way into shore, and he takes the towel like this from about 40 yards away. He didn't want to see anything. He just, I'm like, closer, closer. You know, we're working together. So I got on shore, and I, and I didn't get kicked out of the ministry. That's the good news. But it is so powerful that it just blows you to your back. And there's instances like you know that being on your back and on the ground is not good. Here's a garrison of men who come to take on Jesus, 200 of them. Now, I get pumped to play laser tag. What would it be like to go at night with weapons in the dark? 
it would be awesome. And the adrenaline's got to be going. They're like, oh, I hope he runs. You know, I bet that's what they're thinking. Like, that's what, they're all pumped up. And when Jesus says his name, they drop to their back. Because you cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. You can't. And so there's a lot of things, and we just talked identity not too long ago, but I'll just touch on this, and I'll tell you where it kind of rolls out. A lot of us, depending on which part of the country you are, find our identity in different things and our value in different things. And usually my point in this is that it doesn't last forever, right? If your identity is in your looks, you're not going to be pretty forever. If your identity is in parenting, eventually your kids leave the house or they do wrong stuff. Or, you know, if your identity is in how smart you are, you're going to run into people who are smarter than you. This is, it doesn't last forever. And you can't put all your value on those one things. But let's just pretend that it does last forever. Like, what if you were the smartest person? Like, really, what if you never met anyone who's smarter than you were? That be, yeah, what if you never met someone who's faster than you were, if that's your thing, or someone who's better at your job than you are? Let's just say forever it goes, and you're the best. It goes forever and ever and ever, and you have this value in you. How long does that last when you stand before a holy God? It doesn't. Because God's better at everything. And someday you've got to answer to him. If you just take God out of it, if you just take God's requirements out of it, take God's, just say, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't want to have all his things. I mean, all of us long for the, the judgment day because things are made right. But what if it was just based on you? How many of you give advice to people? Like for your jobs or something like that. Do, do you give advice? All right, so I do. That's part of my job. All right, so I give advice to people from God's word. And now just imagine you have this invisible person following you around, writing all the advice that you give to people. They just, like, write it down. They, you can't see them. We call them our kids, right? They, everything we do and say, they write down and, and then bring up the most opportune time, like a kid's lesson. So you're writing all these things down, and you're all good. And we don't even have God's commands. And now you get to the last day, and you stand before a holy God. And he says, you know what? I'm not even going to judge you on my own requirements. I'm going to judge you on your requirements. And then, poof, this invisible person shows up. And they start listing all the advice you gave to people, like how many books you should read, which books you should read, when you should go to bed, what you should do for exercise, like what you should do for this, what you should do to raise your kids, what you should do for like how much alcohol you should drink and what you should look at and all the movies. You, you just, just, just on your own stuff, is there a single person here who could stand at your own list of stuff? This is pretty fair, right? This is your own judgment. Is there anybody here who would say, yes, I would love to be judged by my own standard? No way. The problem is we're not judged by our own standard. We're judged by God's standard. And someday we have to stand it before him. And I think it's the scariest thing possible unless this is true. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I had not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, of course Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant. 200 guys, and he's like, okay, I'll take care of business. But not anyone tough. I'm going to go with this little kid. Um, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? In the Old Testament, and this is kind of our last thing. In the Old Testament, they wouldn't talk about like our right hand of fury and things like that. That's what we would talk about, my, the power of my right arm. It comes up sometimes. But most of the time when it talked about judgment, it would talk about a cup. And maybe the best picture from that is, have you seen the Harry Potter movies? Okay, you've seen the Harry Potter movies. And I don't know, remember exactly which one it is. But there's a Horcrux. 
Some of you are like, what are you talking about? But most of you know what I'm talking about. So there's a whole crux where Harry Potter, um, they find out about this, that Voldemort had split himself up, and it's going into these things. And then there's this, it's really creepy. They go into this dark cave where Harry finds, um, where he finds, I got to get the names right. I was going to say Gandalf. I know that's not right. <laughs> where he finds the wizard that looks like Gandalf. Well, anyway, he finds him there. I, I can't think of it. But okay. So they find him there. In there is like this baptismal font. In fact, it looks remarkably similar to something like this. And then he has to drink this down to the dregs, right, in order to break this whole crux. And the only guy who can do that is, uh, what is this guy? Dumbledore. Thank you. <laughs> People are offended. Like, I can get Bible things right there. Like, I can't believe you got Harry Potter on. That's evil. So he has to drink it down to its dregs. And there's only one person who can do that, the most powerful person for all the good. And when you're watching these movies, you're like, what is happening here? Well, the same thing is true with Christ. God's wrath is coming before us, and we can't stand. We lay on our feet, and the only one who can take the wrath of our sin away is Jesus, and the only one who can drink it down to the dregs is Christ. So what does he say? He says, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? That includes suffering and death and pain separation from God. And why does he do that? He does it so you can stand before God. And I think it matters because when we think about all the things that make us important, like if you're from the Midwest, that means you work hard and you do a job right and you show up on time. If you're from the West Coast where I in Washington, that means you had like uh, interesting thoughts and things like that. If you're from Colorado, what makes you who you are in Colorado? Probably there's some kind of Thing to it, but you're kind of an outdoors person. You maybe you like to camp, you like the mountains, you like things like that. Just got my daughter a shirt. It was her birthday yesterday. It says, uh, Education is important, but skiing is importanter. Right? So that, it made sense, right? We're from Colorado. That's what this means. Our identity, in some level, is in these outside things. Someday people are going to chop that out. So your best things that you find your identity aren't going to last forever. Someone's going to take your money, someone's going to insult you. Someone's going to say you're ugly. Someone's going to show you that you're stupid. Someone's going to do all these things. But if you can stand forgiven before a holy God, which no one can do, does it matter when people take these things from you? Does it matter if you have and you can hold your heart a faith that says, I can stand before a holy God? It doesn't matter if I'm the prettiest or the ugliest. It doesn't matter if I'm the smartest or the richest. It doesn't matter if I'm the best worker. What matters is I'm with Christ. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus makes amazing claims. He says he really is God, and we have a choice to make. We can follow that. We can bend our knee to him and fall flat on our face in worship. But the beautiful thing is that he picks us up. And in forgiveness, we are his own child. And we know that we worship not just a man, we worship the true God. And we worship a God that isn't looking to bring punishment and pain, but we worship a God who's to make things right. Amen.